Get comfortable first. Okay. Your little bat wings. <laughs> Fear. What episode is this? 58. 58th episode of Beer and Fear. My name is Paige. My name is Zach. Thank you for coming out. This is the first time we're doing a live thing. It is. Never thought. <laughs> I never thought we would do a live thing before. Like, you know, the big podcast, no, the popular <laughs> podcast. We're just, you know, a little Beer and Fear. When, when we came up with the podcast, we were like, nobody's going to come to a live show for no. this. But it's fun. It's, you know, no matter if it's a thousand people or ten people, it's, it's a lot of fun. And we appreciate it. Thank yes, you guys so thank much. Thank you for coming out. This is really cool. So, um, thank you, thank you. For the this episode is on Frankenstein. We just gotta we gotta say that. I, yeah, forgot. Someone forgets a lot. Yeah, to mention what the episode's about, and then we get to the important. you know thirty minutes in, and people are really confused. But mm-hmm. um, I was gonna say the people who don't listen to uh, Beer and Fear, um, which is probably majority of the world, but the way it works is we every week we release an episode every Wednesday at noon. It's on pretty much every popular podcast platform out there. And we pick a topic every week. We take turns picking a topic. So this was, I mean, this was a special event, but this is supposed to be Paige's event. So whoever picks the topic, any spooky or scary topic, we also pick a beer to go along with it to tie in with the topic. One person does some research and the other person usually does stories. So we go back and forth, pick new episodes every week. So that's, that's how this is going to go. And it's about Frankenstein. This whole day, is whole night's going to be about Frankenstein. Um, but before we get into the topic, the episode, you have a question? Oh yeah. Hey, how was your week? It was fantastic. Oh, Thanks so much for asking. Thank you. I had a lot of stuff happen. Uh, I wrote things down because my memory sucks. I can never remember anything. It does. Ever, so it's unless terrible. I write it down. Uh, my birthday was uh, on uh, Tuesday. You have a birthday? Yeah, I turned. I turned. Thank you. That's that's a really weird thing to clap for if you think about it. Yeah, you're getting older. You're doing the thing everyone else is doing. But I turned 27 on on Tuesday. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You're so close to 30 now. I know 27 is close to 30. I thought I was close to 30 at 26. But Time to give up. Mm-mm. Um, <laughs> I went to Michigan. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I vacationed in Michigan with my girlfriend. We had a lot of fun out there. Saw my mom again. She moved out there. Uh, I got a kitten. Oh, my God. If there was a... Thank you. Thank you. If there was a projector or something, I need to show everyone a photo because she's... Just, oh, God. She's beautiful. What's her name? Her name is Kennedy. There you go. She's four months old. Aww. And I've had Kasoda, which is my six-year-old cat. I've had her for a few months now. And I... You know, she's really lonely. She's at home all the time by herself, so... Justify it. You're a cat dad. Yeah, I'm officially a cat dad. Two cats. That's all it takes to be a cat dad. (laughs) I didn't know that. But they're both black cats, and black cats are the best. I don't care what you say. Black cats are incredible. Um, So I've got a six-year-old Casota and a four-month-old. Oh, dear to my heart. And then we saw uh, saw Warren Peach, uh, Shiley play on, um, what was it, October 8th, earlier this month. That was a fun thing. That wasn't this week. That wasn't this week, but I wanted to talk about it because we like him he deserves to be recognized he's okay i guess (laughs) but that was a lot of fun uh he played similar songs on here uh that that he played tonight um and he's going to be playing again during the intermission so stick around for that but how about you how was your week you know i don't do anything besides work but you got a cool job now i do so uh to share so much information with a room full of strangers Uh um i am a a teacher's assistant. I work at a school for young kids. So, you know, anywhere from infants to like pre-K. So little. So today was um, a part of our spirit week. It was costume day. And you're not going to not dress up for a room full of toddlers. Oh. So I am a bat. Yes. I got wings. Yeah. I got some sick ears. <laughs> oh, it's great. But I've never wanted to know how it feels to be a goth furry. But now I know. <laughs> I didn't need that information, but I'll carry it with me forever. Uh, but other than that, just work, you know? 
visit family. I'm, a, I'm simple. I'm a homebody. No, but I dig it. I'm glad you like your job so much. I'm glad yeah, you're happy there. It's wonderful. And you have tons of, I can't figure, this isn't my iPad. I can't figure out how Whose to do this. Whose iPad is that this and is, why I'll, do you have it? This has got my notes on it. But um, you come home every, every week or every day with new uh, school stories. It's and true. they're hilarious. I do. So... But that's, uh, that's a recap on us. You don't want to listen to us talk about ourselves all day. You want to listen to what we have to say about the beer that we're going to try. We're all going to try it together. That's, that was my favorite part about doing this, is enjoying a beer with everyone, and whether it's two people, ten people, whatever. Um, we, we get to drink alone all the time. Um, we've had, we, we actually sat down one day and we figured out how much beer we've drank since episode one. It was not a good number. No. <laughs> um, it was over. It was over. It was about. It was over four gallons. Yes, of beer four gallons of beer. Cumulatively consumed since starting this podcast. We don't. We don't need to talk about. We're that not going to go into that. But th- I'm excited to try the beer with you guys. Um, do you want to talk about the beer? I guess. I guess we can do that. Uh, we'll go into it. I guess. Uh, our beer is from Metropolitan Brewing. They are located at 3057 North Rockwell Street in Chicago. They, they gave us a whole thing to say about their beer. So mm-hmm. uh, house beers are offered in a warehouse-like tasting room with river views. Mm-hmm. And bring your own food because I'm going to do that mm-hmm. or it's order in. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to gonna pack up a bag and go to the brewery. Brewing since 2009, Metro Brew t- uh, Metropolitan Brewing brews German-style lagers and a few ales. Currently sold throughout Illinois and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Metro's tap room is located on the north branch of the Chicago River, reminding you that Chicago's urban areas feature plenty of natural splendor. I forgot to mention, I, I, heard, a, I heard a crack... T- uh, I, I forgot to mention, it's my fault, it's not your fault. We should all crack... Can we crack t- together? Any remainder? Any remaining crack... T- if you crack... T- no, that's fine. But... Thank you. Thank you. Oh, we have a cup. <laughs> we'll crack and pour together and drink together and enjoy it together. But, you know, if you can't wait, it's a good beer. I, I don't blame you. It is independent and partly employee-owned. Brewing beer is merely our A game. I don't know what their B game is. Our brewery is also our platform to advocate for ethical business standards, collaboration, and community service. In 2008, craft brewers were still in the process of distancing ourselves from macro brewers who co-opted the Pilsner style. Mm-hmm. But we knew that worldwide traditionally made Pilsners remained popular and beloved by generations of beer drinkers. Oh, they're good. The craft beer market also featured a void where lagers were concerned, especially with regard to German style beers. We have set up shop in Chicago, a heavily German immigrated area, and decided that our first beer would naturally be a Pilsner. Mm-hmm. The recipes for lagers are purposeful and uncomplicated. Brewing lagers, however, is anything but easy. The quality and deliciousness of the beer in the glass depends on a lager brewer's ability to reveal and celebrate the flavors of just a few key traditional ingredients. We talked about opening a brewery. We thought it'd be a piece of cake, right? I think we could still do it. I don't know. So every time you bring that up, I think of, I don't know if anyone else, I mean, so How I Met Your Mother, there is a scene where they talk about how they're going to open a bar called Puzzles. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, that's the puzzle. And that that situation is what it makes me think of. A dream. (laughs) The lager brewer's technique must consistently deliver wort to the fermentation vessels that are as technically flawless as possible, so the picky lager yeast has the most suitable environment in which to flourish and do its best work. Mm. And finally, a lager brewer needs patience, dedication, proper cold conditioning, time reduces off flavors, and allows the yeast to drop out for clarity. Whatever that means, I just drink it. No idea. And the best result of all, the desirable malt and hop flavors that the brewer meant to showcase become more prominent. Makes sense to me. Lagers are OG. Okay. Everyday beer, mom and dad beer, lawnmower beer, party beer, podcast beer. (laughs) Our beer is called Dr. Frankenstein. The Metro team kicks off each beer and coffee blend by choosing a base beer and then thinking about an expression of flavors and aromas. That's right. It's a beer, or it's a, it's a Kolsch? Yes. It's a coffee Kolsch. So, interesting. Continue. Sorry, I'm going to try to yeah, keep my interruptions to a minimum, but I can't make any promises. I'll move that over there. Thanks. 
Should the combination be strange and unorthodox? Should the combination be satisfyingly complimentary? Once we have our objective, we connect with our friends at Metropolis Coffee in Kyoto Black. Sounds like a fancy motorcycle. We schedule a cupping together to us. What's a cupping? <laughs> to assess a number of coffee bean options. Artfully compiled by the Metropol uh, Metropolis Coffee team. Here is where we connect the beer to the bean. Together we spend time with both the base beer and the coffee beans until a consensus is reached. The Metropolis team then custom roasts the coffee beans to prepare them for the Kyoto brewing process. I feel like I'm doing an infomercial for them. The Kyoto brewing process is similar are. to cold brewing. Room temperature water is slowly dripped over the roasted and ground coffee beans. This sounds sensual. There's a lot that goes into it. This particular extraction process happens over a much longer period of time, 12 to 24 to potentially 48 hours. We use this brewing process because it renders a mellow but flavorful coffee concentration with lower acid. Using a higher coffee concentrate also maintains the integrity of the base beer when blended while still achieving the pr uh, proposed expression of flavors and aroma. Just constantly talking. <laughs> All of our beer and coffee blends are packaged to be dispensed with nitrogen rather than carbon dioxide. That's <laughs> what I always worry about, that my beer is full of carbon dioxide. Don't you hate it when that happens? We found that the typical CO2 dispensing adds too much astringency or carbonic acid. Carbonic, mm -hmm. hey, sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I passed first grade. Mm -hmm. To our beer and coffee blends, nitro with its cascading creamy effect due to smaller, more densely packed bubbles results in a velvety mouthfeel and show velvety mouthfeel <laughs> and showcases the aroma of the coffee as well as the aroma of the base beer. Have you ever had nitro cold brew or nitro coffee? No. It's oh, you got to try wow, it. Wow, I had to think about that. It is phenomenal. It's super creamy, super creamy and rich. So super creamy. 2021's version of Dr. Krankenstein is a blend of our flagship Crankshaft Kolsch hey, style beer with Metropolis Coffee Co. Mm -hmm. Columbia Familia Gomez Single Origin Coffee, cold brew by Kyoto Black. Mm. Stitched together and charged with a bolt of lightning on a stormy night, this blend offers subtle creamsicle sweetness, flavors of palm fruit, and a delicately floral aroma. That was fantastic, Paige. Thanks. Great job. Um, I'm good at enunciating. We're going to crack this open in a second. I'm going to quickly, quickly, not as long as you took, uh, talk about uh, Kolsch for a second. That's the style of beer that we're drinking, Kolsch. This is actually our first Kolsch. We haven't had a Kolsch on the show before. 58 episodes. We just keep beating a dead horse. Yeah, never IPAs, had a, IPAs. <laughs> never had a Kolsch before. Uh, so craftbeer.com, which is where we get most of our info about, where I get most of my info about, a uh, new type of beer, says this about Kolsch. It's a crisp, delicate, and oh-so-drinkable. The German-style Kolsch is a beer hybrid, meaning that its production and subsequent beer-drinking experience settles qualities of both lager beers and ale beers. The German-style Kolsch is light in color and malt character. The style's fermentation process yields a light uh, vinous, vinous character. I just I copy and paste it. I don't I didn't research that word, which is accompanied by a slightly dry, crisp finish. Ale yeast is used for fermentation. The lager yeast is sometimes used in the bottle or final cold conditioning process. Kolsch beer stems from Cologne. Uh, the Germans call that Köln. Kolsch. Uh, but it has found its way onto America's craft beer scene, like many other German beers. Technically, for beer to be called a Kolsch, it has to come from the city of Cologne. But that hasn't stopped American craft brewers from embracing the Kolsch style of beers. This beer style, Kolsch, pairs best with bratwurst, okay. nutty cheeses, right. and even lighter desserts like apricot cake. We have none of those here. Uh, apologize. But, we don't um, come prepared. Just use your imagination. There's a bunch of great food at King's Cafe. Just eat it and pretend you're eating apricot cake. Nutty cheeses. <laughs> 5%, oh, yeah. Nutty cheeses. The best kinds of cheeses. 5% ABV is this beer. So you're going to need maybe three or four of these before you get totally wasted tonight. Uh, 22 IBU, which is International Bitterness Units. Am I right? Yes. Uh, how bitter the beer is. And then 2.8 SRM. So SRM is like the, the color of the beer. So it's going to be definitely light. Uh, we get a lot of our score stuff from a website called Beer Advocate. This doesn't have a page on Beer Advocate yet. So it's relatively new, I imagine. But let's... Crack it open. If you already cracked it open, just mime it. Thanks. Oh, 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 she bubbly. Mm hmm. Ooh. 
It does smell like coffee. I love coffee-flavored drinks. I love coffee cocktails. Uh, I've had a few coffee beers. Most of the coffee beers that I've had are stouts. So. Oh, gosh. Oh, I got to take a picture. Always forgets. We take uh, photos of our beer every week before we try it, and we post it on our Instagram, at Beer and Fearcast, if you want to follow us. You can Who see all the wonderful... Instagram? <laughs> we still have an Instagram page. Oh. <laughs> what does it smell like? Definitely coffee. I'm, I'm excited to try this. You know what? I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> it's a dangerous sentence for me. <laughs> it smells like old coffee. Old coffee. I mean, it's coffee and beer, so it's not going to smell just like coffee, but clink. Everyone clink. I mean, your plastic glasses, so give it a try. Okay. All right. Do you like it? Yeah. Not, not your cup of tea? It's a cup of beer. Mm. It's creamy. Very smooth mouthfeel, right? You get the coffee sort of in the back end. I mean, it's not hard to drink. It's definitely something, no. I hate to be crude, but it's definitely something that you could throw back pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, three or four of those before you get, you know, it's a lighter beer. It's definitely smooth, but I don't know. There's like this flavor in the aftertaste that just makes me kind of go, eh. hmm. <laughs> I don't what, know about that. What, what would that flavor be, Paige? Well, the first thing that came to mind was fishy, and I don't know why. Mm, I wouldn't say fish. I don't know why that came to mind. It's the first thing I thought of. We didn't, get the, we didn't get the Metro fish beer. We got the Metro Krankenstein. I made sure we didn't thing? get the fish beer. But That's a thing? I, <laughs> I like it. I love Kolsch. You too. like everything. I don't like everything. You literally got me these glasses. No. And mm. one of them says, it's good, because that's all you say. It's good. But it's, it's good, though. It's, it's seriously. Consistently. Our first episode, he said, I'm probably just going to say, it's good. And every episode since then, he does it without noticing. Exceptional foresight on my part. Exactly. Uh, I've never been more impressed. But, no, I've had a few disappointing beers. This is not one of them. I really like this. I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm a, I like Kolsch. I like coffee beers. I don't beers. hate it. For it being my first Kolsch and yeah. for it being a coffee beer, I find it pleasant mm-hmm. when I just there's that weird aftertaste that says this is fishy I think that's the Kolsch I think I don't know I don't know how they make no. Kolsch but I don't like I said we don't know how beer is made we don't know the all the specifics but I like it there's some yeast involved and mm-hmm. that's the extent of my knowledge pretty sure there's yeast and hops yeah in there uh, we do need to rate this really quick oh yeah on our beer list we have a beer list on our website beerandfearcast.com so I want to talk about Frankenstein. Uh, that's the topic of this week's episode. Who or what is Frankenstein, Paige? I'm not, you're supposed to tell me that. I'll tell you. Thanks. It's okay if you don't know. Yeah, I have no clue. So when most people think of Frankenstein, they think of the monster, like tall, stitched together, bolts in the neck, etc. Most of us know that Frankenstein refers to the doctor and not the creature he created. I feel like, I'm sorry. I feel like Two every- sentences in. Yes. My words will be heard. Okay. I feel like every time anyone reads that book, they're just like, I don't know if you knew this, but (laughs) (laughs) when they say Frankenstein's monster, when they say Frankenstein, they're talking about... It's the doctor, actually. He's he's the monster. Those people that correct you on everything, they need to be right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's the doctor. Just to let you know. But there's a reason why we think that. Because we can't, I mean, if you try to think of any names for the actual monster, I don't think, I couldn't come up with any. I don't uh-huh. think it really has a name or had a name, but I'll, I'll discuss that later. So it all started with the novel Frankenstein that you just talked about, written by Mary Shelley in 1818. So Frankenstein tells the story of Victor Frankenstein, a young scientist who creates a creature in a wild scientific experiment. Uh, Mary Shelley started writing the story when she was 18. The first edition of the novel was actually published anonymously on January 1st when she was only 20 years old. Her name wouldn't appear in the novel until the second edition was published uh, three years later. I don't know why she, I don't know, maybe she thought it was really bad and didn't want to. I mean, we are our own worst critics. Yeah. In 1816, Mary Percy, her future husband and a fellow 
Just a guy named Lord Byron Just had a, a competition to see who could write. He's a lord. He is a lord. The best horror stories. So they all wanted to write mm-hmm. the best horror stories. So Shelley was inspired to write Frankenstein after imagining a scientist who created life and was horrified by what he had made. The novel, uh, though infused with gothic and romantic elements, was considered to be the first true science fiction story. I have not read the book. Um, I don't believe. Did you? For like school or something? I feel like that's like a school assignment book. That's one of the ones where they give you and you don't read and you just spark note it and finish all when your When I moved for. here, everyone in high school <laughs> was like, did you read The Hunger Games? <laughs> they were like, did you read Frankenstein? <laughs> Like, no. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to summarize it for those who haven't read the book. So Victor Frankenstein grew up in Geneva, Switzerland, raised with Elizabeth, his adopted sister. Victor leaves for his studies at the University of Ingolstadt and soon impresses his teachers and fellow students with his knowledge and prowess. He devises a plan to recreate and reanimate a dead body. After bringing the creature to life, he is disgusted at what he's created and flees while the creature is left to roam the countryside. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, Victor hears of the murder of his younger brother, William, and immediately knows who the killer is. The Green River Killer. He then meets up with the monster, and the monster demands Victor to create a mate. The monster begins to tell Victor its own story. Apparently, the monster learned to read and understand language so that it could follow the lives of its adopted family. The monster discovers notes belonging to Victor that detail how it was created. After enduring rejection by mankind, the monster, not retaliating against mankind in general, takes revenge on Victor's family. Victor initially refuses to create a mate for the monster, but eventually agrees when the monster assures Victor that it will leave Europe forever. Where are they going to go? Uh, I think South America. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Frankenstein well, hanging out in Brazil. Yeah. While word began on the second creature, Victor changes his mind and uh, he destroys his project at sea. The monster now seeks revenge against Victor for not upholding his end of the bargain. Meanwhile, Victor is erroneously blamed for someone else's murder, mm. is later found innocent, but is again left with the guilt of causing harm to so many. That really sucks. Victor plans, to, <laughs> Victor plans to marry and on his wedding night ensures the monster could not hurt him or disrupt the wedding. However, don't you hate it when you're getting married and a monster just... Yeah, just Frankenstein yeah. shows up. It sucks. However, the monster sneaks into his new wife's room and strangles her. Oh. Victor now Plot seeks twist. revenge against the monster and chases it through Europe and Russia. Victor mm. meets his foe one last time near the Arctic Circle before falling weak and ill and dying, with the monster disappearing into the darkness, never to be seen again. R.I.P. That is, um, in a nutshell... Uh, Mary Shelley's 1818 novel. There's a lot that I'm leaving out, but now you have a nice gist of what happens. A lot of it's been spoiled, but if you haven't read it by now, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Frankenstein has been both well-received and uh, disregarded since it, its anonymous publication in 1818. Critical reviews of that time demonstrate these two views, along with confused speculation as to the identity of the author when it was published anonymously. Shelley was inspired heavily by both of her parents' works, I guess they were both authors also, as well as her own personal experiences. So the themes of loss, guilt, and the consequences of defying nature present in the novel all developed from Shelley's own life. Mm -hmm. The loss of her mother, the relationship with her father, and the death of her first child are thought to have inspired the monster and its separation from parental guidance. So where does Victor Frankenstein come into all this? The doctor, the real Frankenstein. As we mentioned, Victor is the main protagonist in the novel. He's an Italian Swiss scientist who, after studying chemical processes and the decay of living things, gained an insight into the creation of life and gives life to his own creature. Percy, which is Mary's husband, Mary Shelley's husband, served as a significant influence for the character. Victor was a pen name for Percy and was often used in the poetry he wrote with his sister Elizabeth. There's speculation that Percy served as one of uh, Mary's models for Victor Frankenstein. So when Percy was a student at Eton College, he had, quote, experimented with electricity and magnetism, as well as with gunpowder and numerous chemical reactions. I just want to cycle back. <laughs> Who sits down and writes poetry with their sister? My sister chased me with a knife when I was a child. <laughs> We didn't have time for poetry. It was, there's too much knife chasing to be lot's, done. A lot's changed since 18, the 1800s, I guess. <laughs> um, the good and, old days. All right. And Percy's room at the university uh, was filled with scientific equipment, so he was probably an inspiration for Victor. But where did the name Frankenstein actually come from? So Shelley maintained that she derived the name from a dream vision. Okay. You know those dream <laughs> visions you have, and you write a book. 
This has been disputed and debated by scholars that have suggested alternative sources for her, her inspiration. One example is that the German name Frankenstein, mm-hmm. break out my German, watch out, <laughs> uh, it means stone of the Franks and is associated with various plank, uh, places in Germany. What are the Franks? Stone I, of what Franks? I, I didn't do any more research beyond okay, that. Okay, well. Sorry, I can't ask that question. Bring up something interesting. <laughs> Victor was born in Naples, Italy, according to the 1831 edition of the novel, with his Swiss family. Uh, he described his ancestry and family as one of the most distinguished. That's really important. Uh, Victor is of uh, high class, mm-hmm. you know, distinguished family. As a boy, Frankenstein is interested in the works of famous alchemists of the time, and he longs to discover the fabled elixir of life. Mm. He then becomes curious about the nature of life, and his studies lead him to a miraculous discovery that enables him to create life in inanimate matter. In the novel, Victor has many characteristics of a great scientist. He also has great curiosity about the world, and even recalls that some of his earliest memories were his realizations about the laws of nature. While many subsequent film adaptations have uh, portrayed Frankenstein as the prototypical mad scientist, the novel actually portrayed him as a tragic figure. But what about Frankenstein's creation? What about? What about? I'll tell you, Paige. Frankenstein's monster was uh, also first introduced in the same novel. Shelley described the monster as eight feet tall Mm -hmm. and terribly hideous, but emotional. Same. Me. Me. Yeah. The monster attempts to fit into human society, but is shunned, which leads it to seek revenge against Frankenstein. The original novel never gives the monster a name, though when speaking to its creator, the monster does say, I ought to be thy Adam, in reference to the Bible. Frankenstein refers to his creation as creature, fiend, specter, the daemon, wretch, devil, thing, being, and ogre. Just call me wretch from now on. <laughs> With the creation referring to itself as a monster at least once. Within a decade of publication, the name of the creator, Frankenstein, was used to refer to the creature, but it did not become firmly established until much later. Actually, the first instance of the monster uh, being called Frankenstein was in Peggy Webling's 1927 play with the same name. We'll mention that again. Okay. This usage is sometimes considered uh, erroneous. So you're wrong if you say it, but some usage commentators regard the monster's sense of Frankenstein as well-established and not an error. As depicted by Shelley, the monster is a sensitive, emotional creature whose only aim is to share his life with another sentient being like himself. related so hard. I mean, in that regard, aren't we all monsters? Isn't that what we all want? I mean... Just another sentient human? Yeah. Yeah. I find love in myself. (laughs) That's good, Paige. Yeah. That's what all single people say. From the beginning, the monster is rejected by everyone it meets, largely due to its grotesque appearance. Contrary to many film versions, the creature in the novel is very articulate and eloquent in its speech. So in, the, in Mary Shelley's novel, almost immediately after its creation, it dresses itself. Um, it wears a, a nice a, a suit or tux like Jack and is very articulate and, uh, and within 11 months can speak and read German and French. Have you ever seen Van Helsing? I don't think so. The one with Hugh Jackman? No. Okay, well. Sorry, I won't get your reference. A classic, so. Mm, it is. <laughs> Embarrassing. Yeah. The, uh, there's Frankenstein in that, and he's like, he's a huge dude. He's, you know, kind of looks like the dude from the, um, you know, the, you know, blueberries, like that chain. Yeah. Kind of looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> but he speaks like, like a heavy, like British accent, and he talks like he's in, like, a Shakespearean play. Yeah. It's very dramatic. Yeah, much like the novel. He, learned, he knows German, French, and English, so that's more languages than I know. In 11 months. It's impressive. Wow. The monster is also a vegetarian. Oh. While speaking to Frankenstein, it tells him, My food is not that of man. I do not destroy the lamb and the kid to glut my appetite. The kid? Uh, I guess man and... Cannibals? Kid, yeah. Exactly. Acorns and berries afford me sufficient nourishment. That's all Frankenstein. That's all the monster ate, I guess. Acorns was acorns and berries. It what wandered kind of the countryside for a while. Does he have that he's just munching up acorns? The picture um, I present to you is a peaceful human. That's what he tells the doctor. Mm. Its appearance in the book is as follows: His limbs were in proportion, and I had selected his features as beautiful. Beautiful, great God! His yellow skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His hair was of a lustrous black and flowing his teeth of a pearly whiteness. 
But these luxuriances only formed a more horrid contrast with his water eyes that seemed almost of the same color as the dun white sockets in which they were set, his shriveled complexion, and straight black lips. Black lips? Pretty gross. I feel like you're being judgy. I am being judgy. He's gross. He has lustrous, beautiful black hair. He's got black lips. Okay, whatever. A picture of the creature appeared in the 1831 edition of the book. Early stage portrayals dressed him in a toga, shaded along with the monster skin, a pale blue. Okay. There were multiple different portrayals and appearances of the creature in other works, but the best-known image of Frankenstein's monster in popular culture derives from Boris Karloff's portrayal in the 1931 movie Frankenstein, in which he wore makeup applied and designed by Jack Pierce. Universal Studios, which released the film, was quick to secure ownership of the uh, copyright for the makeup. In later film portrayals, the monster's makeup replicated the iconic look first worn by Karloff. And since this portrayal, the creature almost always appears as a towering, undead-like figure, often with a flat-topped angular head and bolts on his neck to serve as electrical connectors or grotesque uh, grotesque electrodes. He wears a dark, usually tattered suit, having shortened coat sleeves and thick, heavy boots, causing him to walk with an awkward, stiff-legged gait, as opposed to the novel in which he described uh, him as being much more flexible than a human. Hmm. The tone of his skin varies, although shades of green or gray are common, and his body appears stitched together at certain parts. Uh, Lastly, I'm going to talk uh, just briefly about the 1931 pre-code film Frankenstein, which I just mentioned. It's directed by James Whale and adapted from Peggy Webling's 1927 play, which I mentioned earlier. So the film, it was actually adapted from the play where the play was the first time it mentioned the monsters. Frankenstein. It was a commercial success upon release and was generally well received by both critics and audiences. The film spawned a number of sequels and spin-offs and has a uh, has had a significant impact in popular culture. The imagery of a maniacal mad scientist with a subservient hunchbacked assistant and the film's depiction of the monster have since become iconic. As with many pre-code films that were reissued after strict enforcement of the production code in 34, Universal made cuts from the original camera negative of the film, and thus this cut footage is often lost. There's a scene, uh, I don't think I've seen the film, there's a scene in which the monster throws a little girl, (laughs) Maria, don't laugh, (laughs) throws Maria into a lake and accidentally drowns her. Uh, This scene was extremely controversial, and was cut by many state censorship boards. Uh, the state of Kansas actually requested the cutting of 32 scenes uh-huh. of the movie, which, had they been removed, would have cut a literal half of the film. It's like in Fantasia, where they cut all the racist stuff out. <laughs> it's just like Fantasia, <laughs> where they cut all the racist stuff out. We're being censored. The footage of the girl Maria was actually rediscovered in the 80s and has since been reincorporated into modern copies of the film. So I think if you watch it now, you can see Maria get thrown into the lake. Oh, thank God. Uh, And then one popular spinoff is the 1974 comedy horror film Young Frankenstein, which we'll be watching real soon after our section and after uh, Young Peach, Warren Peach, not Young Peach, (laughs) that's the other guy, Young Peach. That's my little brother. Yeah, that's right. After he plays on stage, we're going to watch the film in, in the... Th- You've never seen it, right? Nope. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. How dare. I'm excited. That's my section. There's a lot. There was a lot. I it's wanted to make sure I covered, uh, covered a little bit of everything. A lot of info. So you got some stories? I do. Well, uh, eh. uh. so I don't know if there's stories. Uh, I guess instances of people wanting to be Victor Frankenstein in a way. I love it. Or I guess inspiration for Victor Frankenstein. They did happen a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. And just a little quick fun fact. So uh, Mary Shelley actually never put in the book that um, he was brought to life with electricity. She never actually mentioned what happened. Mm-hmm. It's like a huge, like, you know, the big throw the lever, you mm-hmm. know, Igor. <laughs> yes, master. Yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> So that never happened. That wasn't a thing. She purposely omitted that from her um, writing. However, there are some people who kind of just ran with it. Uh, Luigi Galvani. Bringing dead things to life with the power of electricity was an old idea, even when Shelley started writing in 1818. Decades before, in 1780, an Italian super scientist, I want that on my name tag, named Luigi Galvani, had noticed an effect that would set him on the path to these sort of grisly experiments that could have inspired Frankenstein. In that year, Galvani was a lecturer at the University of um, Bologna. <laughs> the University of Bologna? 
my favorite university, <laughs> sponsored by Oscar Mayer. <laughs> Scientists of the late 18th century weren't necessarily specialists, so they didn't pick a field and go with it and then pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to be told that they needed to buy $300 textbooks. Let's get topical. <laughs> and Galvani was interested in everything all at once. He was a chemist, a physicist, a physician, a philosopher, and he seems to have excelled at everything. By 1780, Galvani had already been the chair of the uh, obstetrics department uh, for over a dozen years, he's old, and had done extensive work on animal hearing and sight. When that line of research, and presumably the obstetrics, got stale, Galvani turned his attention to frogs' legs, like we all do. Mm -hmm. According to the legend that later developed around his work, Galvani was slowly skinning the severed lower half of a frog, because that's how you spend your Tuesday night. Mm. When his assistant's scalpel touched a bronze hook in the frog's flesh, all at once, the leg twitched as if it was trying to hop away. It gave Galvani ideas. Bad ideas. Galvani published his results in 1780 along with his theory about what was going on. In his model, dead muscles contained some vital fluid he called animal electricity. This, he argued, was related to but fundamentally distinct from the kind of electricity in lightning or the shock you could get after walking across a carpet. He thought the electrical contact animated whatever residual animal electric fluid remained in the legs. This sparked... <laughs> a respectful argument with Alessandra Volta, who first confirmed Galvani's experimental results, but then disagreed with him that there was anything special about animals and their electricity. And come on, producing their own electricity? <laughs> Tell that to an eel. <laughs> a shock was a shock, he argued, and then he invented a reasonably efficient electric bat uh, battery to prove it. So he made the first electric battery that could survive um, on a current of some kind. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Not important. Nope. By 1782, Volta was shocking all sorts of dead things himself to prove any old electricity could do the trick. Giovanni Aldini. By the time Volta was building his first voltaic piles, those are his batteries, Galvani was too old to start a flame war over his theory. Instead, defending his ideas fell to his nephew, Giovanni. On January 18, 1803, a man named George Forster was hanged by the neck in London. Mm. Bring back public hangings. Mm. <laughs> the, court had found him <laughs> the court had found him guilty of drowning his wife and child in a canal. Forster dropped and died quickly. Forster. 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 Forrester? Yeah, Forrester. Not Forrester? Not Forrester. Oh. Yes. Forrester? No. Forrester? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and his body was delivered immediately to Giovanni. Like, how is that something that you're just like, yep, dead bodies, delivered them to that guy. How have you gained that reputation? They got dead body guys back then. Yeah, just deliver them. Hmm. He had recently moved to Newgate, specifically to be close to the hangings that took place there. Quickly, Aldini summoned an audience of medical students and curious onlookers and began to work on the corpse. First, he moved the limbs and made and may have struck the face to demonstrate that Forrester was truly dead. He's just like, Pow! <laughs> He's dead. Then he soaped the dead man's ears with salt, water, and stuck sponges in them to conduct electricity. Finally, he applied electrodes to each ear and passed a current through the dead man's head. In the words of a horrified reporter who witnessed the demonstration, on the first application of the process to the face, the jaws of the deceased criminal began to quiver, and the adjoining muscles were horribly contorted, and one eye was actually opened. In the subsequent part of the process, the right hand was raised. Stop it and clenched, and the legs and thighs were set in motion. Whoa. To anybody watching, it must have seemed that Aldini was raising the murderer from the dead. This was predictably a disturbing thought for many people. Why are we bringing murderers back? Mm. Questions were even asked in government circles about what the law would require if he was brought back. And the consensus was to hang him again. <laughs> he died once, we'll do it again. We're covering our bases. Aldini's real Frankenstein experiments had become the toast of London, 
and his uncle's ideas about animal electricity were starting to look credible. Mm-hmm. Andrew Yer or Ere, or Ere, whatever you want to say, a. Around the time Aldini was experimenting with his executed criminals in London, a young Scottish scientist and scriptural geologist named Andrew was getting his degree in Glasgow. Ure was another one of those generalized geniuses who was interested in everything. What is it when you say, like, what is it when you say, like, um, that start with, like, the same letter? What is it? Alliteration? Yeah. Generalized geniuses? Love that. Mm. (laughs) Good times. Classic. Classic Mm. alliteration. His encyclopedic book about industrial processes, so interesting, written in the 1830s, is said to have needed 19 expert translators to render it properly into French. Does that mean he's a genius or he doesn't know how to he spell? He can't speak. Yeah. Why would you need 19 people to translate something? That's far too many. Fresh out of university and looking for something to study, he found Aldini's work fascinating and decided to try it out for himself, just casually. By 1818, he had his own steady supply of freshly hanged criminals to play around with. We're not going to talk about the fact that it said play around with. There was no shortage of executions in Britain then, since around 300 crimes carried the death penalty. Wow, that's a lot. It makes you happy that we're living in these times. Eh. Unlike (laughs) medical... You'd rather go back? Unlike medical researchers of today, Andrew liked to have a crowd watching his procedures, don't we all? Mm. Which were not experiments so much as they were public freak shows that helped Andrew build a reputation as a scientific wizard. <laughs> okay. Scientific wizard. I know, right? <laughs> like Aldini, he specialized in shocking various parts of the body to make them move. Also, as had been the case with Aldini, the scientific validity of of this was questionable, as Andrew didn't seem to be answering any specific questions with his work. It apparently was cool, though. (laughs) In quotation of somebody who witnessed it, every muscle of the body was immediately agitated with convulsive movements resembling a violent shuddering from cold. On moving the second rod from hip to heel, the knee being previously bent, the leg was thrown out with such violence as nearly to overturn one of the assistants, who in vain tried to prevent its extension. The body was also made to perform the movements of breathing by stimulating the phrenic nerve and the diaphragm. That sounds scary. When the supraorbital nerve was excited, what? Every muscle in his countenance was uh, simultaneously thrown into fearful action. Rage, horror, despair, anguish, and ghastly smiles untied their hideous expressions in the murderer's face, surpassing far the wildest representations of uh, Fuseli or Keane. At this period, several of the spectators were forced to leave the apartment from terror or sickness, and one gentleman had fainted. Andrew eventually ran out of steam with his real Frankenstein experiments, and local churches were agitating to shut him down by force if he didn't stop summoning devils in his lab. In time, he gave up the uh, reanimation efforts, correctly concluding it was a waste of his time, and then turned his attention to more productive pursuits, such as revolutionizing the way volumes are measured and developing a working thermostat. Well, thank you. A working thermostat? Back to the dead bodies. Uh, I have, more fun. I need my comforts. Mm. He also spent the years between 1829 and his death in 1857 arguing passionately that the earth was 6,000 years old and that true science always agrees with the Bible. Only right. 6,000? Mm. Only 6,000 years old? Mm. That seems sus. It's sus. I don't trust that. The work of the early Galvanists was largely set aside after the 1820s. Even Andrew seems to have abandoned his early work in favor of temperature regulation. (laughs) The Soviet Union, however, evidently didn't feel the same where the subject required mad scientists. By the early 1920s, even before the Russian Civil War had ended, a Russian scientist was back at it. Except this time, he was getting results. Those Russian scientists. It's always the Russian scientists. If I know anything, because Call of Duty taught me. (laughs) Sergei was a scientist living in Russia during the revolution who invented what he called an autojector, or the heart-lung machine. These exist today, 
And Sergei's design was fundamentally sound, but it's the way he tested it that's creepy. Mm. During his early experiments, Sergei decapitated a dog and immediately connected it to his machine. Okay, I already don't like this guy. I know, he, he decapitated a dog, okay. which drew out blood from the veins that circulated through a filter for oxygenation. According to his paper, Sergei kept the dog's severed head alive and responsive for over an hour and a half before blood clots built up and killed the dog on the table. These experiments were documented in the 1940 film Experiments in the Revival of Organisms. This result, this wasn't strictly reanimation, but it was Sergei's stated purpose to eventually learn how to totally reanimate fallen Soviet men on behalf of the state. Wow. Yeah, just zombie soldiers. Oh, it is Call of Duty. It is Call of Duty. Oh, full circle. According to the sometimes reliable Soviet Congress <laughs> of Science, Sergei actually managed it in 1930. Given the hour's dead corpse of a man who had committed suicide, the team plugged his body up to the autojector and pushed a witch's brew of odd chemicals into his bloodstream. Was it actually a brew made by witches? Yes. The okay. man's chest cavity was open, and the team allegedly got his heart started again. The story goes that they got as far as developing a steady heart rhythm when the dead man started groaning like a real Frankenstein. At this point, everybody got seriously freaked out and shut down the experiment, letting yeah. the man die for good. I would have too. You go through all that trouble to bring somebody back, and then you get freaked out and shut it down? I, that was the whole point. I wouldn't think it'd actually work. Chickens. I wouldn't think I'd actually be that good at anything. Chickens. Uh-uh. Imagine doing that now. You get all this funding to study something, and you're just like, no, that's too scary. I can't do it. Uh-uh. The government paid me, but uh-uh. I'm just going to return the money. No, I'd be spooked. It's too much. Too spooky. It's frightening. I got one more thing, and then I'm done. Thank God. Whew. Talking is a lot. So just quickly, um, as I was doing some research and perusing, I found this article that was about uh, a stem cell study that they were going to start in 2017, and then it got postponed, then it got postponed again, as scientific studies apparently are apt to do. And then COVID. I know all about scientific studies. I'm a scientist. So basically, the premise of the experiment is to inject stem cells into like the base of someone's spine who is brain dead to bring them back to life and basically revitalize them. And then I found another article in 2021 that they're actually going through with it. So the trial starts, um, actually I think it started in 2019 and ended 2020. So I haven't heard anything else about it, so I'm assuming that it didn't go well. I was going to say, do you have a link where we can all sign up? Because no. I'd be down. But they tried, and that's what matters. Bring <laughs> back mad scientists. That's, that's what this world that's needs. That's my political platform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I dig it. That's exciting stuff. Technology. I would sign up for that. It's, it reminded me of um, when you die and you can uh, have your body or your head frozen. Oh, like Disney. Yeah, like Futurama. Just like Disney. Just like Disney. Because um, that actually happened. But you can... Uh, that anti-Semitic like, man will be can, back. <laughs> you can sever your head and then they freeze your head mm-hmm. and then it'll be like a real-life Futurama in Why would years. I want to be a head in a jar? Um, I don't know. In case you don't like your body. You could get put on another body. I love my body. Excuse you. Mm, that's good. And you... <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, That's all you got? That's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, What did you think of the beer, my guy? Thanks for asking. I would have just skipped right over that. I know. I really liked it. uh, Genuinely. I enjoyed it. Um, You like it? Give me a thumbs up. No, I gave you a thumbs up because I wanted to finish it. (laughs) You open it, you commit to it. What's your favorite kind of beer? Is it hazy IPAs or... Hazy IPAs, Wheat Ales, IPAs. You like the Hefeweizen we had? DDHs. I don't remember if I like the Hefeweizen. Like the Pilsner we had? Yeah. Okay. So like lighter beers? Yeah. I mean, this is a light beer, but it's got some, it's got some sour funk going on. I think it's the coffee it. for me. I'm not a huge coffee drinker. Yeah. It's got, because I think the can, it was like subtle creamsicle sweetness. I didn't get that. Palm fruit. I did get fish, though. <laughs> you, got a, you got a weird can. Yeah. The fish cam. Subtle fish flavors. Yeah, you got the fish cam. 
Mm. Yeah, the, the coffee is interesting. The first time I ever had like a coffee Kolsch before. I love Kolsch beer, and most of the coffee beers I have are like stouts. You know, the richness, the maltiness, creaminess of the stout. But I think this works pretty well. Um, yeah, the creamsicle, I mean, it's sweet. It's kind of soury and funky, and it's got some, some weird stuff going on, on with it. But I, I like weird beers. Um, this fits my criteria. I love it. It's good. It's They're good. On cue. Mm -hmm. It's good. But you put it at a five, so. I was being nice. <laughs> I like it. Um, I yeah. wanted to thank Metro okay. Brewing for uh, supplying. Oh. oh, what? I don't get an opinion. I just You're asked ask you. Me. I just asked you. You your didn't opinion. specifically phrase it. All right, go ahead. Thanks. You didn't ask me though. Paige, what did you think of the beer? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> So I liked the aroma of it. I mean, even not being a huge coffee drinker, but yeah, it's just that weird fishy aftertaste, man. <laughs> it was smooth. It was very Don't easy know. to drink. But if I really think about it and I let it sit on my tongue for too long, it becomes fishy. I don't know what and, you're talking and about. And then I feel like I'm eating seafood. You're that's crazy. just confusing. You're crazy. Okay, what were you saying? <laughs> you're crazy. What were you saying? Mm. Okay. Yeah, coffee. You don't have to smell my can. It's going to smell the same. Thank you to Metro Brewing, Metropolitan Brewing in Chicago, um, for supplying the beer to us. Um, we, we were looking online. We wanted to find a Frankenstein beer. There were only a few breweries that uh, were making, currently making this beer. And I think this is year-round. Um, they do change it up every now and then, like the coffee they change. But I think it's always been a Kolsch, as far as I know. Um, they have their Crankshaft uh, beer as well from Metro. And I've been there a couple times. They're so cool. And their place is amazing. You walk in, and it's just like a giant facility and there's like lights hanging from the ceiling and it's it's incredible so um you're definitely so good at describing things i you're right you paint a picture in your head pretty much but metropolitan brewing thank you so much thanks for the beer i liked it it was fantastic um thanks for allowing everyone to hear to try it you can follow them at on um, their socials at metro brewing um big big thank you to center stage and uh, fair lady productions for hosting this event thank you very much you guys are awesome um, and then a uh, big thank you to Warren Peach for uh, Yeah, not playing. Young Peach. Not Young Peach, not his brother, but thank you, Warren Peach. Yeah. Um, can we use your Instagram tag? Glomayon? How do you say it? Glomayon. G-L-O-M-A-E-O-N. Got to memorize. It's Hell up here. Yeah, brother. Yeah. G-L-O-M-A-E-O-N. That's uh, Warren Peach, and he's going to be playing as soon as we get off the stage here and, and shut up. Uh, and when we're done, when everything's done in here, head over to the theater. We got Young Frankenstein we're going to show on the big screen. So thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. And have a good day.